Brother Dunbar took me out to uh, uh, that Chinese buffet. That's a terrible place to take someone when he's got to speak. Amen? I'll tell you what. But I was very careful. I watched what I ate. I made sure I looked at it before I ate it. And uh, I don't know if, if what you think, but Chinese food makes you real thirsty after you eat there. Am I right? So I'm thirsty. Okay? I uh, appreciate so much uh, my brother allowing me to come and... and uh, you know, I'm up here. I like to get into churches. Oh, yes. Hi there. Good to meet you, too. Amen. Amen. All righty. I, I was told I'd get the hand if I didn't turn that on. I got it. And anyways, uh, he was telling me about the graduation, how wonderful it was. This is at the restaurant now. And uh, how the, the speaker was short and sweet. He said, 30 minutes. I thought, hmm. Am I getting a message? And... Uh, then he comes here tonight. I'm not dumb, brother. Then he comes here tonight, and he goes through the whole thing again. I, hmm, short and sweet. He didn't say 30 minutes to you guys, but he said 30 minutes to me. But I did talk to him. He said, I could go for three hours. And he said, just turn the lights out when you go. Amen? I want to thank you so much for being here tonight and for allowing me to speak to you. I want to thank you also for your support, and not just uh, the financial, well, that is a great help to us, but also your prayers, that's a greater help yet. And uh, it's exciting when you're out there uh, working in missions, knowing that there's churches around the country that are praying for you. This is a church that knows their missionaries. This is a church that wants to keep up on what's going on in their lives. That was the way my church was. And I know you're praying for us, and I really appreciate that. Uh, I'll be in uh, New Jersey in just uh, another week. I'm going to be in New York for one more weekend, and then down to New Jersey for about um, one month, and then I'm heading on home after Father's Day. I'm looking forward to that. Amen? I'll tell you what, I miss my wife. You know, I was thinking tonight. You know, it's funny what goes through your mind when you think about your wife. But um, I was thinking tonight as we were singing these hymns, you know, uh, I have a problem. I don't remember the words to hymns, but I make them up. Amen. And, uh, you know, uh, Debbie will be standing next to me and we're singing and I'm not looking at the words and I just make them up. And she always go like this. And I said, I know, I know, you know, and, you know, and she does that to me all the time. And uh, so now when I'm around her, I purposely make them up. Amen. <laughs> And then I put a big smile on my face. By the way, don't, don't be fearful. They're all biblical words that I use. <laughs> Amen. I want you to turn your Bibles tonight and mark a few places so that we can move right along. We're going to stay in the Old Testament tonight. And uh, you'll see why in just a little bit. But you turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 139. And when you find Psalm chapter 139, put a marker in there, please. Psalm chapter 139. And after you find Psalm 139, go to the book of Joel. Now, you might have a little trouble finding it, but it's in there, I guarantee it. The book of Joel, okay? I put these in order. You keep working back. So, uh, so keep going back, and you'll find these books. Okay, we got Psalm 139, Joel chapter 1, all right? Joel chapter 1. And then when you find Joel chapter 1, I'm trying to give you time to do it, go over to Hosea chapter 4. That's right. Next book over, you'll be fine. Amen. Okay, so Psalm 139, Joel chapter 1, 
Hosea chapter 4, and then Daniel chapter 4. We're going to get to Daniel tonight too. Daniel chapter 4. So I've got four references so far. Psalm 139, Joel 1, Hosea 4, Daniel 4. When you get all those marked, go to Jeremiah 18. You think, boy, are we done? No, not yet, but we're getting there. And so Jeremiah chapter 18. So we got all these places we're going to look at tonight. So yeah, we'll be here for two hours, not really. Psalm 139, Joel 1, Hosea 4, Daniel 4, Jeremiah 18. And our text tonight is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. So if you haven't found them by now, just go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Amen? I want to preface the message tonight by making a few observations with you. First of all, I love America. I'm so glad I was born in America. I've always loved it. Even before I was saved, I loved America. My family had a cottage up on Lake Huron, and we would go up there every summer. And I like the Canadians, but I like America. And it was always good to get back across that border and be back in the good old USA. I've taken a lot of mission trips over the years as a pastor and enjoyed the mission trips. And by the way, if you haven't gone on one, you need to. And uh, been over to Mexico many a times, to Peru once, over to India three times. And I'll tell you what, I'm glad to get back on American soil. I love America. So I want you to understand that tonight. Uh, she's hurting, but uh, I think there's something we can do about it. And I'm hoping in our message tonight you'll see that. The other uh, preface I'd like to make to the message is that America, in all of my travels, in India, Peru, what have you, in my travels to churches, I've always been a strong man on missions, but I've come to realize something under Help Ministries, and that is America is a breadbasket for worldwide missions. You understand what I mean by the breadbasket? It's the breadbasket. It's supplying for missions around the world. You know, at one time we were sending multitude of missionaries around the world. Multitude. These nationals that I bring over, they all point back to an American Baptist missionary that came to the village. So they have done a great job in sending the, national, the missionaries. Today we still have men surrendering, and praise God for that, but it's not like it used to be. And uh, believe it or not, we just don't have it. But I'll tell you what we do have. We have resources. We have money. God has blessed us with riches. You say, well, I'm not rich. Let me take you on a tour to India. You'll come back thinking you're rich. And, uh, you know, uh, he's blessed us with that. And I want you to understand something tonight. We are the breadbasket. We have the riches. God has placed them in our care with purpose to invest them in taking the gospel throughout the world and every creature. So keep that in mind tonight, if you would. The other thing I want to mention to you is that I'll be using all Old Testament scripture for the basis of what I'm going to preach. Some people may object to that. Let me remind you what Paul said about the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage. It's in 1 Corinthians 10. You need not turn there. He said this, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, or examples, and they're written for our admonition, our warning, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Romans 15, verse 4 for whatsoever things were written aforetime, that is in the Old Testament, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And then one more thing I need to say to you before we get into the message. I do not believe America is spiritual Israel. Israel is Israel. 
Israel is God's special people. No, oh, praise God for the support that the United States has given Israel over the years. I'm a little concerned about that now, but uh, uh, thank the Lord for that. So when I preach tonight, I'm no way trying to tell you we are spiritual Israel. We are not. We are the United States of America, and that's what we are. You know, the Bible speaks of a future judgment of nations. When the Lord Jesus will come back and reign for a thousand years. He tells us in Matthew 25, verse 32, Before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. In Psalm chapter 9, verse 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. There's coming a future judgment of nations when he comes back. But did you know that there is a present judgment of nations, even as I'm preaching tonight? And that's what the Lord would have us to study, His present judgment of nations. If you turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, let me give you a little background to our text here. It's an exciting uh, text. Solomon has finished the temple, and he has built a scaffold and a platform, much like this right here. And the people are all around him. He's before the temple. And he falls to his knees and he lifts his hand to heaven and he prays a prayer of dedication for the temple. But then he moves on and gives some scenarios about Israel. Something like this. Should Israel fall into sin and turn away from you and you chasten them and they repent and come back to you, will you restore them again? And he gives different scenarios. This chasing sometimes is the enemy. The chastening is sometimes uh, uh, some catastrophes that take place in the land. And so he's asking the Lord, if they turn back to you, will you uh, forgive them and restore them? And in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12, in a, in a night vision or in a night dream, God answers Solomon's request. I want you to look at it with me. Verse 12, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence, and by the way, pestilence is a deadly disease, among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. I've entitled our study tonight, God's answer to America's woes. God's answer, not man's answer. We got enough of that, amen? It's making a mess of things. I want God's answer to America's woes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight, and thank you for Freedom Baptist Church. Thank you for the love for you and their love for missions. Thank you for the love for lost people. Thank you for the love for me. And Father, I would just ask tonight as we go through this study, that we would give the Holy Spirit liberty to speak to our hearts. That, Father, if there needs to be some correction tonight, we'll say amen, Father. Or if there needs to be some encouragement, amen. Or maybe some instruction, amen. Whatever we need tonight, Father, I pray our hearts will be open to you. And I ask for you to guide me as I deliver what you have. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, what a year was 2020. We lived through a worldwide pandemic called COVID-19 and a worldwide shutdown that is still going on. Churches in America were ordered to close their doors to not assemble together. They closed their doors and some are closing them again. 
Some have never reopened. I have a list of churches that I call, that's part of my ministry, it's the main part, calling pastors and trying to get in to see them. I'm amazed uh, during the year of COVID, I've been amazed how many telephone numbers have been disconnected. And I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about that. We even saw persecution of churches in America, burning of church buildings and burning of Bibles. Churches threatened with a fine if they were to hold a worship service and, and sing as a congregation. We saw riots and looting and murder in our cities for months. We saw the defund the police movement, which is still going on. We saw a presidential election full of fraud and stolen from a sitting president. And now we have a president who is anti-God and anti-Bible. It was a year of disrespect for the law, a year of anarchy in many of our cities. And as we enter 2021, it seems that 2020 is repeating itself. COVID is still here and being used to control the masses. Our southern border has been opened as floodgates allowing illegal immigrants to come into this nation with their diseases and drug and human trafficking. The Constitution is being ignored and trampled upon. Our free speech and our religious liberties are under attack. Rioting and murder is still going on in our cities. Immoral, ungodly abominations are flaunted before God once again. Transgenders are in government positions now, some even running for office. It's a time of confusion, a time of fear and uh, a fear across America, and unfortunately, it's even among God's people. But I want to show you tonight why the turmoil, why the fear, why the confusion, why the disrespect for law and order, why the anarchy in our cities. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4, or I'm sorry, Hosea chapter 4. And just drop down to verse 6. Now, Hosea was a prophet to the rebellious nation of Israel and, uh, in 753, around that time. And I want you to read what he said to them. Here's what he said, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Brethren, that's America today. There's a famine of knowledge and reverence for God and His Word among the lost as well as the saved. And therefore, there's a rejection of truth. Do you understand tonight that America is Bible ignorant? She no longer knows the God by whom this nation was birthed. Back at the uh, Halloween time there, uh, we had harvest, uh, harvest Sunday at our church, and we opened up the parking lot in the different uh, booths, and we had uh, the different stories of the Bible told, you know, like the flood and, and creation and what have you. And kids, uh, we were the only one that had it, and kids came, and, and they went through it with their parents, and they never heard these stories before. They were shocked to hear them. Never heard them. We're talking about basic stuff here, amen, that was taught to even the children of unbelievers as they were growing up. But not now. We're on the road of destruction as a nation. We're not on the road to destruction. We're on the road of destruction. Look again at Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I would also forget thy children. It started in 1930s when John Dewey, called the father of modern education, published the first humanist manifesto, whose goal is to wipe out all knowledge and belief in God across our nation and replace God with man as a God. 
Our public education and our secular universities became breeding grounds for producing generations of young people who are taught to be little gods and, and do not believe in God and the Bible. Many of our fine young people have graduated from school out of our churches and they've gone to these liberal, secular universities only to one day deny the infallibility of the Bible because they had Christ-rejecting professors. A poll was taken in 2020 asking, uh, how many, asking if you believe that the Bible is the literal word of God. And just 28% said yes. 28%. It has dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped. And let me tell you why just 28%. Because there is a lack of knowledge of God and Bible. America, do you understand this tonight? I, hey, I'll put you to the test. Start knocking on some doors and ask them about some Bible stories and see if they recognize them. And you'll be amazed at how many people don't know even about creation or Noah and the flood or Jonah and the whale or Jesus healing. America is Bible ignorant. And as little gods, they live in open sin, justifying their sin by calling evil good and good evil. You know, God warned about that through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 5.20, warned to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, warned to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And boy, we are full of that in America today. We are wise in our eyes and, uh, and no dependence upon God. That's America today. Abominations once called sin and sickness are now called an acceptable lifestyle and anything goes. We have a large number of our young adults called the millennials who are rising to leadership positions who do not know our heritage and history as a nation and the blessings of God. Rather, they've been taught a false history full of racism and discrimination and, and prejudice. You're probably familiar if you watch the news of the project, uh, 1619 project that wants to go back to the first slave that was brought into our nation and there start the American history full of discrimination and racism and prejudice. We had a, uh, my son runs a teen group in the church and they had a testimony of what Thanksgiving was and this boy stood up and he said, well, I learned in school. The pilgrims came over from England and uh, they, they met this tribe of Indians and they befriended them. They would, the Indians would befriend them if they would kill this other tribe. And so they destroyed that other tribe and these Indians became friends, but then eventually they turned on those Indians. Where did that come from? Huh? I'll tell you what, you'd be amazed what's being taught in our schools today. Socialism and communism are taught to be the answer to America's injustice. And what's their agenda? Destroy our republic our religious liberty, our freedom of speech, our right to bear arms, destroy our constitution, our form of government, destroy free enterprise market, and control the people in what they think and do. And consequently, we are a nation that rejects truth and righteousness. In other words, we've lost common sense. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, some of the things that people come up with, you, you, you scratch your head, where is their common sense? And now socialism is taking over with communism next step. I wonder, do we understand tonight that our nation is a tinderbox ready to explode? That a civil war is taking place in our nation, threatening to destroy the last nation of religious liberty and freedom around the world and justice. 
that for 244 years has been the breadbasket for worldwide missions, both men and finances, and preaching the gospel throughout the world. But let me tell you why we're still the United States of America, even after 244 years. And don't miss this, because this is the basic, this is the foundation of my whole message. Why are we still a republic? Why are we still the United States of America? Because of God's people making themselves available to God. Boy, I wish you'd write that down. Because of God's people making themselves available to God. Many of our forefathers and civic leaders from the founding of our nation to the mid-1900s were saved men. Eh, they weren't all Baptists, but they were born again by the blood of the Lamb. Our government buildings across our nations were erected and engraved with Scripture references. The chamber of the Supreme Court was engraved with the Ten Commandments on the upper wall circling that, that room. Have a guide take you up there today and you ask him, what are those up there? He'll say, well, that's the Bill of Rights. Families were raised on the Ten Commandments. Listen, I had two lost people, but boy, they sure knew the Ten Commandments. My parents did. Amen. The Ten Commandments were hung in our public school classrooms. Vocal prayer was offered to God to be the, in a school classroom to start the day. Revivals ripped across our land, restoring during times of moral decay. Now back to our Bible. From the book of 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, we find Israel divided into two kingdoms. King Solomon in his later years, you know, stood away from God. You would too if you had a thousand wives. Amen? Not only that, but a thousand mother-in-laws. Amen. So he, he slid. And uh, God's judgment was taking ten of the tribes from the line of David and making them a separate nation. However, he did leave two tribes for the line of David, and that was Judah and Benjamin. The ten tribes are called the Northern Kingdom. And they're to be ruled by God-appointed kings. In fact, the servant of Solomon became the first king of that nation. The southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, was called Judah, to be ruled by the line of David as promised by, the, by God. The Lord, through his prophets, promised both kingdoms that he would bless them, bless them, if only they, and even protect them if only they would just love him and obey the law. Both kingdoms. And yet the kings of both kingdoms led the people to rebel against God and His law by embracing the idols and the abominations of the land and replacing, replacing God's law with wicked immorality. And Israel's attitude and rebellion towards God and His world recorded in the Old Testament is being repeated in America today. Brethren, I'm amazed when I read these kings. It's like reading current events. It's like reading about the United States of America. What was going on back then is going on today in our nation. Disrespect for God, rejection of God's law, worship of the lips and not of the heart, abominations, immorality, idolatry, deceit, corruption, and the list goes on. It's like reading a newspaper on current events in America. The prophets of God warned these two kingdoms that God would chasten them, and if they did come, not come back to Him, then He would destroy them. And He chastened them with natural disasters. He chastened them uh, with, with the enemy nations uh, coming against them, but they did not heed to his chastening. And destruction of both kingdoms took place just as God promised. In 722 B.C., Israel fell to the kingdom of Assyria. In 586 B.C., Judah fell 
to the kingdom of Babylonia, Babylon, of Babylon. But in the midst of God's warning of coming destruction, the prophets also preach God's call to repent, turn back to God for forgiveness, and He would restore them as a nation. They preach that. I'm amazed how many times it's in there. I'll be reading of this destruction that's coming, and then suddenly there's an offer. Come back to me. Just come back to me. I will forgive you and restore you. No, I'm paraphrasing it. Well, it's all through the prophets. All through the prophets. And yet, they did not do it. They did not do it. Look at Hosea chapter 6 with me, would you please? Hosea chapter 6, and just verse 1. Look at this prophet's call to the king of Israel. Who, by the way, turned away from God faster than Judah. But look at what it says there. Come, and let us return of the Lord. For he hath torn, and he will heal us. He has smitten, he will bind us. And all America, come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, and he will, he will heal us. And he has smitten, and he will bind us up again. I know I'm a little strange on this and probably criticized a lot. But I believe our, national, our natural disaster is taking place across our land is God's chastening America. Uh, I believe the drought out in California that has been there for years now and is spreading is God's chastening of America trying to bring her back to Him. I believe these tornadoes like we've seen more than we've ever had down south and I live in the midst of it is God's warning, God's chastening for us to come back to Him. I just believe that. The forest fires huh, out in California, uh, I believe it's, you say, well, they don't, they don't do controlled burning. Forget that stuff. What it is, is God trying to get our attention to come back to Him, repent and come back to Him. But I want you to see tonight that there were reprieves or holding back of God's destruction on Judah when a godly king came to the crown of the line of David. A godly king would come to the crown and he would lead his people into revival. Let me give you some. King Asa, 1 Kings 15, verse 14. Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. And there was revival among God's people in Judah. King Hezekiah of Judah, 2 Kings 18, verse 3. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. And there was revival among the people. King Josiah, at the age of eight, uh, became the king. And we're told in 2 Kings 22, verse 2, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of David his father, and turned out aside to the right hand or to the left, and there was revival among the people. One day, the priests and scribes came to, to Josiah, and they said, We found uh, the, law of, uh, the book of the law. And so they read it to the king, and he rent his clothes because as he listened to the words, he saw that Judah was under the judgment of God for her sin and that God would destroy the nation. So he sent some of his men to the prophetess Huldah to get her uh, a message from God through her. And she said, yes, they will be destroyed. Judah will be destroyed, but not during your time because you have been a king that has honored me and your people have honored me. And brethren, let me just say this, and God's judgment of destruction is coming to America. I'm not going to be a, prophet, a doomsday prophet, but I'm going to be honest with you and very frank. It's coming to America. Over 61 million abortions. A president 
promoting abortion up unto the birth and probably soon will promote murdering the baby after it's born. Same-sex marriage, transgender behavior, child sex trafficking, and much, much more. And God must destroy the United States of America or he'll have to apologize to Israel and Judah. But all there can be a holding back of God's judgment, a staying of his hand because of the founding of our nation on the Bible. There can be a stay of God's destruction if we'll recognize where it will come from. Not from government leaders. Not from the elections, though we should vote. That's our God-given duty. Not from the people at large and not even from God. Because God is ready to forgive. Rather, it will come from God's people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, or seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. There's the hope for America. It's God's people. We who are born again through the blood of Christ and faith in him. We're not only the hope of America. Listen to me. We're the hope of our children. And we're the hope of our grandchildren. And I believe God's remedy for Israel's rebellion of yesterday is God's remedy for America today. Could I have you turn to Daniel 4 and let me show you what God showed King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 4, you know the story. Nebuchadnezzar had that dream of a huge tree reaching up into the heavens and the, and the branches covering the earth. And all the beasts gathered around underneath it and the birds, the, the, the fowl of the air, arrested in it. And then there's a seer from heaven that cried down, chop it down, chop it down. And they chopped it down and the beasts fled and the birds fled. But that seer said, but put a ring around the stump that passed seven times over. And then no one could interpret it except uh, Daniel. And the king called Daniel and Daniel came in and he listened to the dream. And oh, he was afraid to tell the king. <laughs> but the king said, speak, speak what you know. And he said, you're the one. You're the tree. You're the one that's going to be chopped down. You're going to become like a wild beast and you're going to grow hair, uh, uh, feathers and, and claws like a bird. You're going to eat like an oxen for seven years until you know that God rules in the kingdom of men. But I want you to understand something tonight. That was not just for Nebuchadnezzar. That was for you and I too. If you go with me again to, second, or to um, uh, Daniel chapter 4 and drop down to verse 17. This matter is by the decree of the waters and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Do you know who the living are? That's you and I. I think you're still breathing. Amen. Are you alive tonight? All right. God wants you to know something. He rules in the kingdom of men. And he gives it to whomsoever he will. Not the progressives. Not the Democratic Party. Not the Republican Party. Not the Supreme Court. Not Congress. Not the President. Uh, not the Constitution. But God rules in the kingdom of men. And God gives it to whomsoever he will. And God put Biden in office. I'm sick of hearing people say, well, God allowed him to become president. No, he put him there. You know why he put him there? Because that's what we wanted. 
Turn over with me to Jeremiah chapter 18, please. Leave a marker and Daniel will come back to it. Jeremiah chapter 18, we have the Lord giving a lesson on nations. <laughs> and he said uh, through Jeremiah at verse 7, At what instant I speak concerning a nation? Now that's a nation, that's not just Israel. That's any nation, okay? And concerning a kingdom, not just Israel, but any kingdom, to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation whom I have pronounced turn from the evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. What, that, what does that make you think of? <laughs> Jonah. I'll tell you something about those Ninevites. They were mean to Israel. They tortured the Israelites. They skinned them alive. I mean, I'm not, that's, not, that's not just a, I'm not saying a saying. They skinned them alive. And yet they repented. Sackcloth and ashes and fasted. And God forgave them and didn't destroy them. Let's move on. Verse 9. At what instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. That's Israel. That's Judah. That's the United States of America. Amen? That's our nation. That's us. If, I, if it do evil in my sight, that obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. And praise God, brethren, it doesn't stop there. Read verse 11. Now, therefore, go to, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. In other words, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we Christians, I'm not talking to lost people. The lost people are not the answer. We're the answer. But how do we return to the Lord for His forgiveness and His restoration? Again, I believe a study of God's dealing with the nations in the Old Testament gives us decisions that we've got to make with determination and dis discipline and dependence upon the grace of God. And I want to give you those decisions tonight. Write them down, would you please? Number one, the first thing we've got to do is get humble with God. And confess our sin. Get humble with God and confess our sin. Let me, let me, I'm sorry, let me make that a little bit more personal. Get humble before God and confess your sin. Get humble before God and confess your sin. Would you turn me to Psalm 139? Psalm 139 and drop down to verse 23 with me. David gave us a psalm, amen. These are the words of David. Listen, brethren, a man after God's own heart gave us these words. And look what he said. My, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Are you reading it? Search me, said David. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and you lead me in the way everlasting. 
If we're going to see America turn back to God, it's got to start with us. We are the key to seeing that happen. And the first thing we need to do, every one of us, is get humble before God and confess our sin. It must begin with you, not the church at large. It's up to you to be, uh, to, to be the stay of God's hand of judgment. You need to come before the Lord with an open, surrendered, submissive heart for a personal examination by the Lord and a cleansing of sin in this filthy world that we live in. It's not you bringing your sin to God like you so often do, but He bring up your sin to you. That's what we need to do. Oh, listen, brethren, there is so much pride and so much arrogance and so much indifference, so much selfishness and independence among God's people and even our churches today. We're full of it. Living for God by convenience rather than conviction. Living for God by the power of the flesh rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. Living for God by the divided allegiance of love for the Lord and love for this world. Excusing our sin, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. And one might say here tonight, well, I'm in fellowship with God. Uh, I have no sin in my heart. Are you sure about that? Have you asked the Lord to examine your heart? Have you asked Him, not you, Him? You see, we, we don't do very well with our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even give to every man according to his way and according to the fruit of his doing. Have you come to the Lord? Listen, have you come to the Lord with Psalm 139? What I just read to you? If not, then you don't know your heart. Because you cannot know your heart apart from letting God examine your heart and show what's in your heart. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. We need to get humble with God. We need to quit thinking we know it all when it comes to this nation. And just let God focus on me. Just let God focus on you. And let him look at your heart. Let him look at your, your thoughts, your mind, and, and see if there'd be a wicked way and lead you into the way everlasting. Oh, listen, that's where it's got to start. The individual, not the church at large. Then number two, we need to come together as a church living God and thirst and pray and fast and thirst and pray and fast and thirst and pray and fast for revival. Revival's for God's people, amen? It's not for the lost, they're dead. How can you revive a dead person? It's for us. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, that's God's formula for revival. God gave us that. That's what we need to do. And if we'll do that, God will bring revival. Over to Joel chapter 1 with me and look at verse 14. Joel was a prophet of Judah. Uh, just before judgment was coming. And, 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 and uh, he warned them of the coming judgment, but look at what he says here. Verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 14. Sanctify ye a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God. And cry unto the Lord, alas, for the day. For the day of the Lord's at hand. And as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Brethren, we need revival. 
We must have revival. We need a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a manifestation of God's holiness upon his people that brings to our knees like Isaiah was brought to his knees and that, and that we would worship a thrice holy God that would lead us to restoration of a spirit-filled life in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in our service, in everything that we do. And not just some things or most things. Oh my, if we get a revival, then unbelievers will come to a conviction of God's righteousness and their sin and their repentance and reception of the gospel of Christ for salvation. I'll be very frank with you tonight. You know, some preachers say, I'll be honest with you. I'm always honest with you. I'll just be frank with you. I believe a reason that a lot of people are not interested in our gospel because they see too much of them in us. So why should they be interested? My, we ought to be different. We ought to be Christ-like. We ought to be Christian. A Bible example of God sent revival is Acts chapter 2. You know the story. When a little band of 120 believers received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, resulting in their praising God for His wonderful works, and 3,000 souls got saved. And by the way, America's history is not a stranger to revival. There was a great awakening in 1727 to uh, 1760, which laid the foundation for our nation and religious liberty. And then there was a second great awakening from 1792 to 1845 after the American Revolution when our nation was almost spiritually bankrupt. Morals were down and unbelief was rising and revival turned the tide. There was a great third, uh, the third great awakening of 1857 to 1858 resulting from a Wednesday noon hour prayer meeting. A few men got together during the noon hour prayer, and pretty soon more gathered. And pretty soon the room was filled. They had to get a bigger place. And pretty soon it started spreading to the next town and the next town, and it spread across America. And do you know where our midweek service came from? It came from that revival. That's where it came from. Amen. I remember the day when, when Wednesday afternoon was... Stores are closed. You know why they were closed? Because there was a revival that caused that. Because people wanted to get alone with God and, and, and come together and pray unto the Lord and ask for His filling. We need that kind of revival, amen? It's estimated that over 250,000 people to a million souls got saved. And a population at that time was uh, 30 million. Think about that. Listen, nothing's too hard for our Lord. Amen? Nothing's impossible with him. I read a book once about Charles Finney. I grew up in Perry, New York, which is not too far from Houghton, New York. Anybody know where Houghton is? Okay, they had that Methodist college there. And Charles Finney was used of God for that revival. And he just passed the town. He didn't even stop, brethren. He just passed the town on the train, and people fell to their knees and cried unto God for forgiveness and save me, dear Lord. He didn't even get out and preach. That's the power of a revival. It comes upon the lost. You say, well, that's not going to happen today. I'm glad you're not God. Amen? The fifth great awakening, 1880 to 1903. The sixth great awakening of the early 20th century with pockets of revival across our nation. Do you want revival? Do you want revival? Isaiah 44.3, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. 
I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessings upon thy offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. Are you thirsty for revival? I mean, really thirsty for it. I mean, I hear a lot of talk about it. But I don't see very little action. Revival takes action, not just talk. Now we have preachers declaring there's not going to be any more revivals. I've heard them. No more 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Some said we can't use that anyways. It belongs to Israel. Let me tell you, it belongs to God's people. It belongs to God's people. Well, tell that to revivals that are breaking, uh, breaking out around the world. Amen. There are revivals breaking out around the world. Third world nations are having revivals. Amen. You know, the pandemic of COVID-19 and current events, we're now more focused on the coming of the Lord than we have been for a long time. Am I right? Now prophecy conferences have come back. Right? Boy, there's just all this talk. He's coming. He's coming. Amen. I believe that the day I got saved and learned the doctrine. He's coming. We're in the last days. So was Paul. In fact, the, the, the preachers back then preached the second coming of Christ, thinking he was going to return in their day. Boy, we got all this talk about the, about the rapture and how America's not in the Bible and, and uh, the coming of the Lord's reign. I've heard preachers say, I think he's going to come in my day. Really? Let me tell you something. We talk about the rapture, we focus on the rapture, we focus how things are lining up and getting ready for re revealing the Antichrist if we're taken out of here, but where's the talk for the need for revival? Where's the talk for the need of souls getting saved? You don't hear that talk. All we talk about is the coming of the Lord. We need revival. Some say, well, I can see maybe a church revival, but not a national revival. That's because you're not God. That's why you can't see it. Joel 2, verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine inheritance to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you reproach among the heathen. By tonight... By the way, tonight we're a reproach in this world. But I will remove far off from you the northern army and drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face towards the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he's done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. Listen, folks, time is right for revival. We need a revival. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O arm of the Lord. Isaiah 51, verse 9. But I fear, I fear we don't want revival. We may say we do, but I fear we don't want it. We talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. We're comfortable. I don't know about you, but 
I got through COVID pretty good. I got COVID. What I'm trying to tell you is, man, I had food in my cupboard. Do you know what? When I went through COVID, and by the way, I didn't get sick. I just lost my taste and my smell. For 10 days, I wasn't sick. I didn't have a fever. My body didn't ache. I was sleepy. I tired. But you know what? I put weight on during COVID. I thought you're supposed to lose weight. My wife had me in that back bedroom, the master bedroom, the master bath, and she had a little table outside the door, and she would put the food there for me 10 days. Finally, I had to tell her about in the midst of it, honey, forget the lunch, just give me the breakfast and dinner. Man, I was putting weight on. Amen. I'm trying to point out something to you. Did we suffer? No, we didn't suffer. Not like the third world nations are, and still are, by the way. They are shut down. India, my, what they're going through right now. I heard 2,000 a day dying. Hmm. I have friends over there. Do we want revival? Oh, brethren, would you thirst for revival? Would you awake and realize that we need to come before God by ourselves for a cleansing and then cry, thirst, and pray and fast as a church for revival? And by the way, it only takes a few people for revival. You study the revivals, it was always a few people. A few people, and then it spread, and then it spread. Last thing that'll be done. We need to confess the sins of our nation with prayer and fasting. We need to confess the sins of our nation with prayer and fasting. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. We need to confess the sins of our nation with prayer and fasting. Daniel chapter 9, look at uh, uh, verse 3. In our text here, Daniel has been studying Jeremiah. And realize that the 70 years are about up and Israel is supposed to go back and rebuild the temple. But as he looked amongst his people and as he looked amongst that nation that he was in, he realized that there was still a lot of wickedness, still a lot of sin. And so he turned to the Lord in prayer and look at it in verse 3 with me. And I set my face to the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and thy judgments. Daniel was identifying with the sins of the nation through prayer, though he was not a part of it. And brethren, listen, we must identify with the sins of our nation with prayer, though I hope we're not a part of it. I wish I could read the whole uh, prayer, but drop down to verse 17. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thy ear and hear, open thine eyes, and behold our desolations in the city which are called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. And we need to confess the sins of our nation with prayer and fasting and cry for mercy. O God, have mercy on America. And why do we Christians need to pray and fast for, for mercy upon America? Because we've made America what she is. We've made America what she is. 
Our nation is full of adultery, all types of fornication, abominations, pornography, abortion, drugs, human trafficking, corruption, idols, lies, deception, and the list goes on. And brethren, watch me, we're to blame. We're to blame because we've turned America over to the lost. We turned it over to them. I remember when I got saved back in uh, uh, 73, there was this attitude, Christians don't get involved in politics. Preachers especially don't get involved in politics. You know, and I remember uh, the teaching uh, in, a, in an unsaved home by my parents, you don't mix religion and politics. <laughs> and we've practiced that. And we've, we've turned our offices over to the lost. We have. You see, I'm just, I'm just a little tired of us blaming the progressives for the condition of our nation when we're the ones responsible for the condition of our nations. This was God's country. This is God's country. And he had his people uh, be the, the, the rulers of this nation. But we've turned it over. And consequently, we need to cry for mercy. We need to identify, face up, fess up to what we are, and cry for mercy. When Daniel prayed that prayer, he included himself because he knew that Israel was a cause of God moving them and destroying that temple. And he cried for mercy. Well, America's on a road of destruction, not to destruction. Just like um, Judah was. Just like Israel, there, there came a day when they went so far that destruction was announced. America's on the road to destruction because of a lack of knowledge of God and Bible. Lack of knowledge of God and Bible. Sin, excuse me, she is rebelling against God and truth. Her history as a God-fearing nation is being erased. The churches of living God are under attack the breadbasket for worldwide missions is threatened. But there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. I want to ask you to do something tonight. I don't normally do this. But I wonder if you're saved, would you stand up? Would you do that? Just stand up. I know that's awkward. Just stand up. You're the hope. You're the hope. Oh, that we would wake up. Quit complaining. Get along with God. Let Him do the examining. Be determined to come together as a church and again and again and again and pray and fast and thirst for revival. Cry unto God for mercy in our land. Because you see, God gave a promise. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins. I'll heal their land. It's us, folks.
I wonder tonight. I believe we love America here. I really do. And we don't like what we're seeing today, but we love America. We've got a lot of good memories. We've been blessed of God. I wonder tonight, has God gripped your heart about the need that you're the answer? He's not the answer. Well, God's in control. He is. And in that control, he said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I'll hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I'll restore their land. I wonder tonight if God's gotten a hold of your heart and you would be willing just to just to work your way down to this altar with Psalm 139 and let it start there. Would you do that tonight? Could I have the pianist come up? Would you come forward? Would you just come down? Brethren, oh, listen, America needs us. Our grandchildren need us. Did you notice the periods of those revival? They lasted a long time for generations. Just come down. Just you and God. No strings attached. An open heart, a submissive heart, a humbled heart, a surrendered heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And Lord, lead me the way everlasting. Would you do that tonight? And whatever the Lord shows you, thank God for 1 John 1, 9. Confess and forsake and replace it with what God wants you to do. No, oh my, rise from your feet when you're done and be determined to come together as a church with discipline and determination and with the grace of God and pray, pray and thirst and fast for revival and cry unto God to have mercy on America.